welcome to the Brooks Online Gathering. My name is Muchi Cable. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, the church. Man, we're honored that you would connect in this way continuously at such a time as this, especially if this is your first time. Man, special welcome uh, to you. We're in the middle of this series as a church called Words I Never Said, which are really this collection of reflections, um, ideas that have been bubbling in my heart for the, like the last year and a half plus that really started to get crystallized over uh, the summer while I was away on sabbatical. So even week one, we looked at this idea of seasons, bringing the weight of eternity to the here and now, and knowing that there are some seasons we choose and there's some seasons that choose us. Nobody signed up for a pandemic, but that's where we find ourselves right now. And then week two, we kind of wrestled through this idea of truth and how it is vital and necessary and we should fight for it, that we should have this posture that loves it and pursues it and applies it well. Last week, providentially, uh, we talked about this idea of joy as resistance and how joy is this deep experience of gladness not rooted in circumstances. And because it's not rooted in circumstances, we see that it actually reaches beyond the moments that we're in to hope, to hope, to find strength and gladness for where we are. And providentially, we talked about that last week, and for many of us, this previous week has been an exercise of trying to fight for sincere joy in the midst of sincere pain. It is deja vu. Deja vu. This re-traumatizing because we're constantly seeing these visceral images of violence that is done to black and brown bodies. Deja vu. And it does something inside. It... it, it <laughs> It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And through conversation with some of some of us, I know that some of us have found ourselves actually dragging ourselves uh, to this gathering right here, right now. And if that is you, uh, just want to look you directly in the face and say you aren't alone. One, I would say that's kind of where I am. But more than where I am, the text that we're looking at, Luke 13 gives us a picture of someone who drug herself to the very presence of God for 18 years. And one day, out of tremendous love and mercy, God met her. So if you find yourself dragging yourself, just know that you're in good company and this could be an amazing opportunity to meet the living God. Luke 13 is where we're going to be as we wrestle through what the text offers us, which is God delights in doing good, and so should we. God delights in doing good, and so should we. And so as we walk through Luke 13, really, we're going to look at some nuances that bring that idea to life, add color and vibrancy and weight. To it. I mean, the text is pretty straightforward, but I do want to pull out some nuances that exist here that will bring weight to that idea. And then as we pull out these nuances, we'll move forward by establishing what I think are prayer points the text offers us. And when I say prayer points, I mean just that. So even as I get to a prayer point, if you want to hit pause and pray, you do that. I may do that over the course of this. 
I don't know yet. We'll see. But think of this as an extended, expanded time of guided prayer through Luke 13. And so these nuances and then these points of prayer that'll shape our time. Read it with me and then we'll take it bit by bit. Luke 13, starting in verse 10, it reads like this. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. Uh, she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he said, and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Before we go any further, I just want to celebrate this woman, man. 18 years experiencing this deep pain physically, but we know there's emotional stuff there because physical pain often comes with emotional, spiritual pain as well. We know that. Plus, Jesus identifies this as a demonic attack on her. Yet, after 18 years, she finds herself in the presence of God. Man, that is praiseworthy. That's worth celebration because you know and I know quitting becomes easier with time. Yet, she's still here. It's worth celebrating, but it's also worth imitating that we would endure as well. There's some nuances here that I think bring color to this. The, the nuance that really just, for me, is how Jesus responds. Now we're gonna find a prayer point from it later, but let me, let me just bring out the nuance here. He identifies this as her being bound by Satan, which is a big deal, right? Because often when we think about Satan or demonic activity, we have a Hollywood mentality. So we think about like even that show Lucifer, like, like, where, like Satan's like, like man, he's like easy on the eyes and, or even like, you know, possessed and all that. And again, Hollywood shapes how we view the scriptures more than we realize. When the scriptures talk about demonic activity, there are really three major uh, categories that could fall into. The, the one we know the most is possession, right? It's when a spirit 
inhabits a human and takes over, bringing harm, destruction to their lives and, and others. The next is oppression, right? Where what we have here, there's this affliction that is directly tied to the activity of Satan. Uh, there's an Old Testament example of this with Job. The last is suppression, where it is the ongoing work of suppressing life for people. And it's this ongoing work of suppression through keeping people blind to the beauty of God. And this work of suppressing, this work of keeping people blind is often through systems, structures, and ideas, all of which is demonic activity highlighted here. But that's not the nuance that hits me. The nuance is that as it relates to emphasis, the emphasis here isn't on the ruler of the synagogue's response. On some levels, it's actually not even on this woman, though Jesus gives her this beautiful picture of dignity, daughter of Abraham, but the emphasis isn't even on her. And the emphasis isn't on Satan. Satan is a footnote in history and the story of God. He will eventually be at the foot of Jesus for all time. He's not the emphasis here. The way that the text is written puts the emphasis on the amount of time that she was bound 18 years. Now Jesus is gonna, Jesus is gonna bring that weight to bear in response to this ruler. But man, 18 years. But in a moment, God changed everything because he's free, he's powerful, and he's good. Even when life around us attempts to say opposite. He's free, he's powerful, and he's good. In fact, that 18 years actually leads to the first prayer point. Now think about this. As I read, how did you feel? If you read along, how did you feel? When you got to the part that said she had been bound for 18 years, did you just read that informationally? Or did you connect with that emotionally there is this dehumanizing of the bible that exists right now that is very scary we strip the scriptures of its soul these aren't fairy tales these aren't just concepts that we just throw around so that we can win debates these are real stories the canvas of the scriptures is real life and I think we become numb to that. And time has a way of numbing the heart, especially when evil is what we know. But the first point of prayer, especially where we find ourselves, and even maybe how you interacted with this text, is that God would keep us from being numb generally, but then also keep us from being numb to evil, specifically. There's a numbness that was pervasive in this text that the rulers of the synagogue reflected, that the people that supported him reflected. And so 
We pray, God, keep us from being numb generally and to evil specifically because we know evil has a way of holding hostage the goodness of God, especially when it's evil done by people under the guise of following God. So that's actually the second point. So the ruler of the synagogue, the scene, Jesus sees her, calls her over in compassion, speaks words of life to her, sets her free, heals her, intervenes in the midst of all of this pain and brokenness. Powerful display of God. And the ruler's response was <laughs> indignation. Listen, listen, guys, there is six days to do work, not the Sabbath, not this day that God has set apart. Come on, one of those days and be healed. You just hear the callousness coming off of his lips that Kyler pointed this out this whole 18 plus one idea come back tomorrow you've waited 18 years what's one more day it's absurd and it's atrocious but the absurdity and the atrocity isn't just attached to his words it really is attached to the emotional connection that he has. What's pulling deep emotions from him is not this powerful demonstration of good. What's pulling deep emotions from him is him trying to protect his perspective of right. Protecting his own interest. Pharisees, rulers of the synagogue, keepers, of the law of God. But there's some more absurdity and atrocity here that pushes us towards this next prayer point. Jesus' response to him is, you all, that you is plural, it's you all, it's y'all, you hypocrites. Plus at the end, when, when it's all said and done, the aftermath of it all, <laughs> is this experience of shame for all of Jesus' adversaries or all of the people who fell in line with this foolish way of thinking. So in a very real sense, this ruler was giving voice to the wickedness of other people's hearts. This ruler was providing cover for the foolishness and the wickedness that existed in other people's hearts. He was just a voice for what other people believed, but he was a voice that stepped into this space of speaking on behalf of God. Supremely problematic, supremely problematic. Thus, the prayer point is, God, would you keep us, keep us from inadvertently or intentionally giving cover 
to that which is evil. Listen, that's hitting me differently right now because I have a very diverse social feed and I feel like I have very diverse relationships and both exist because echo chambers are dangerous. And I just love people. And what I've seen in the diversity of my feed is stuff that has really alarmed me. Now, it's not new. It's just rearing its ugly head again. And it's this simple refrain, just preach the gospel. All of the pain people are experiencing, hearts searching for answers, in need of healing. And there's this refrain, just preach the gospel. And I I understand charitably the intent, I believe. But the good news of the gospel is this announcement that God is making all things new. That all of the brokenness that we see around us, all of the brokenness that we feel, all of the brokenness is attached to sin and God is making all things new, dealing with sin. That there will come a day where every wrong is made right. Everything that is broken is mended and healed. That good news proclaimed. And the vehicle for that good news, the cornerstone, the center of that, what is shorthand for the gospel is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf for our sakes. It's the good news. But when we say things that seem clever or potent, like just preach the gospel, we betray the entire story of the gospel. And really, we don't have cover for that through the scriptures. You don't get that with Paul. I determined to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified shorthand the gospel. Yet in his determination to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified, we see all of these demonstrations of love. We get this in First Thessalonians. That because you become so affectionately desirous to us, we wanted you. We were determined not just to share the good news of the gospel, but our very lives. Because in sharing our very lives, we were actually drawing you into the implications of the gospel, what's core to it, which is God is making all things new, bringing people together in family. And so I think I understand what some are trying to communicate. But man, would we not be people that inadvertently give cover to evil and then use God as a primary vehicle to do it. It's very confusing. Thus the prayer, God, keep us from that. Keep us from inadvertently or intentionally giving cover to that which is evil. That's what this ruler did. And he used the law of God in his mind to do so. The last point of prayer is through the weight of Jesus's words. Oh, They're so rich. They're so rich. They are audaciously clear and demonstratively different. So the juxtaposition, you come back tomorrow, 18 plus one and then some to Jesus. Wait a second. 
you hypocrite, biting. Not sugar, like, here it is. There is incongruence between what you say you believe and how you are acting out said beliefs. You believe that God is holy, beautiful, noble, true, and good. Yet that belief about God being holy, beautiful, true, noble, and good isn't leading you to do things that are holy, beautiful, true, noble, and good. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Not only that, there's something else happening in your heart. You're blinded. He's like, first of all, look at how wicked this is. If you had an ox or a donkey and they fell down on the Sabbath, instinctively, you would move to help them. Yet there is this human, someone who is made in the image of God, someone who has inalienable dignity and profound design, someone who has a soul that will spend someplace in eternity, either with me forever, because they believe the announcement of that good news, or with Satan forever, because the work and activity of suppression, oppression, and possession is winning. Someone made in my image a human is hurting and you are worried about whether it computes with your constructed perspective so much so that you seek to accuse me and disparage this work of good that's being done? He comes for them. Audaciously clear. God delights in doing good whenever the time and opportunity presents itself. And we should as well. Demonstratively different though. Because some of you are like, yeah man, Moochie, get him. Get him. The problem is... Jesus was biting in his rebuke, but his heart was full of love towards those he was rebuking. So at the end of Luke 13, and then even in Luke 19, we get this picture that meant, my God, we get this picture of Jesus weeping over this city, Jerusalem, a city that is filled with prostitutes, the outcast, the ones we celebrate who receive Jesus, but it's also a city filled with Pharisees, the rulers of the synagogue, scribes, the adversaries and opponents of Jesus, and he weeps for them both. So these words that even cut to the heart of this ruler and those who he gave voice to, they came from a heart of love. And so he spoke this powerful truth, not so that they could get away from him, not to do away with them, but to draw them in. And my God, that is hard. To be able to walk in that supernatural space of loving those who wish harm upon you 
my God. But it does bring us to the prayer point that we would ask God to bring weight to our voice and our visibility in this moment by us being audaciously clear and demonstratively different. The audacious clarity is by not hedging our bets with demonic activity such as white supremacy. We need that type of clarity. Remember that whole suppression of life? Now Paul says our weapons are not carnal. That's what he says in Corinthians. We have the ability to tear down strongholds and ideas, concepts that set themselves up against the glory and goodness of God and how he's working. Audacious clarity, but demonstratively different that in all of our acts of good, they're not handouts, they're not statements, but they're birthed from a heart of love that says all people everywhere should be pulled into glorious relationship with Jesus, even the ones who mock him, even the ones who would want harm for us. They're candidates of relationship, which is why we marvel at Jesus before we even move a step towards modeling what he's done. We marvel so that he melts our hearts. We marvel so that he's able to massage truth into our souls. We marvel so that we worship and we find strength and we find joy and we find energy and we find courage and then we move to action. And the only way we marvel well is by staring in the face of God through his word and by wrestling with God through prayer. So let's pray. Let's pray that this would take root and life would change in light of it. God be with us. God, keep us individually and collectively from becoming numb, whether it's general numbness or numbness towards that which is clearly wrong. Keep us from it, oh God. God, keep us from inadvertently or intentionally giving cover to evil, whether that's through the ways by which we elevate our political ideologies and create confusion on where our allegiances lie or by spreading misinformation because we haven't done the hard work of research. God, keep us from inadvertently or intentionally giving cover to that which is clearly evil. And Father, not by our own strength, not by power, but by your spirit, would you bring weight to our voice and our visibility as your people through the way that we are audaciously clear and demonstratively different that all men everywhere would marvel at who you are and what you're doing, even when circumstances and our real adversary seeks to keep us blind and hold your goodness hostage. Would you set us free by showing us an expansive view of yourself? In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.